You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. When I was growing up, we had a pool in the backyard. Um, we had a rope swing. We had um, a slide. We had you know a deck that you could jump off into. And what we used to do is in February, now keep in mind this is San Antonio, February, so it doesn't get very, very cold down there. Um, but we used to go in the middle of February and see who could jump in, kind of a polar bear, polar plunge, whatever they call it. Uh, we used to do that, jump in, get real cold, and then jump right back out. Yes, we were stupid teenagers, but that's kind of what we did. So... The reason I bring that up is because when you get into a pool and you want to get to the deep end, there's one of two ways that you can do that. You can do a Peter Pan off the side, just head first, get into the deep end. Or what you can do is you can go slowly down the stairs and then slowly kind of just walk to the deep end. What we're going to do today is we're covering a very weighty topic today. We are going to get in the deep end, uh, get in the shallow end, and we're just as a group, and those of us online, as a group, we're going to walk into the deep end. So we're going to cover something very heavy, very uh, deep, but we're going to get there slowly, and we're going to get there to where all of us are on the same page. So if you would, please go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, and we're going to begin in verse number 20. And as Coach pointed out last week, if you remember his sermon, he kind of set up chapter 17, starting in verse number one. And I'm just going to do a a quick two-sentence summary. Basically what happened is his, Jesus's disciples said to Jesus, how can we increase our faith? How can we um, do this? And basically what he did was he gave three really short, sweet, pieces. He talked about the the importance of forgiveness. He talked about the importance of remaining faithful. um, And then also the importance of remaining thankful. That's what Jesus was teaching about. But the last part uh, that coach teased for this morning is preparation. So all of this is to increase our faith. Again, kind of going back Uh, If we look at chapter 17 as a whole, we see that there are certain things that Jesus is teaching about. So we are going to uh, pick this up in verse 20. But before we did this, before we dive into this, I want to remind you back in, I believe it's Luke chapter 9, you have the account of the transfiguration. That's where Jesus took a few of his disciples, went up there and revealed his true divinity or revealed his true divine nature to those three. Then you had Elijah show up. Who was the other one? I should know this. It was Elijah and Abraham, maybe. Everybody's scratching their heads. We'll we'll ignore that. No, I encourage you go and read Luke chapter 9. I'm going to later today while I eat crow, Um, you'd think I would study ahead of time. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, what Jesus did was he revealed to his three, which then he revealed to his 12 disciples 
about his, and there's a, a fancy term known as his decease. We think of that as deceased, someone is dying or someone has died. But what that refers to is the entire gamut, Jesus's betrayal, his arrest, his humiliation, his death, and ultimately his resurrection. So he has revealed this to his disciples. And so for us as followers of Christ, as we go through Luke's gospel, we're starting to see more and more things revealed to us. Now, the reason this is important is today, for the very first time, Jesus is going to say, after my resurrection, I'm going to return. So this is talking about the second coming of Christ. So his disciples are going to learn this for the very first time starting today in our study. So again, forgiveness, faithfulness, thankfulness, and the last part of that is preparation. So what are we preparing for? Glad you asked. Let's look at Luke 17, verse 20. It says, One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, When will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, The kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, Here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. And what we're going to do, this, this passage, we're going to cover verses 20 through 37, which is a very large patch of scripture, but we're going to take it in kind of bite-sized chunks. So this first time, this first chunk is the first two verses, 20 and 21. They asked, when will the kingdom of God come? So my question to you is, what is the kingdom of God? We pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What kingdom are we talking about? See, a kingdom here on earth refers to someone who has a position of authority over people and a region. So if you think back through history, the king of England, he, his territory was England. So that was a physical place here on this earth, people under the authority of a specific person. But in spiritual terms, Jesus is referring to those who belong to himself. So when we talk about, or when we read in scripture, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he is talking of himself. John the Baptist, the forerunner to Christ, came and was preaching repentance for the remission of sins. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Meaning, the Messiah is here. Get your minds right. So this is, I, I can't take credit for this. Uh, someone much smarter than me came up with this. The kingdom of God is synonymous with the sphere of salvation, which is the eternal realm where Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and where the redeemed, those who have submitted to his lordship, have their true citizenship. Let me read that one more time. I encourage you, this is on the YouVersion app. Let me read it one more time. The kingdom of God is synonymous with the sphere of salvation, 
the eternal realm, eternal, one that we cannot see, the eternal realm where Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and where the redeemed, those who have submitted to his lordship, have their true citizenship. That's me. Is that you guys? Yes, that is us. So we are part of the kingdom. So we belong to Christ. Where is the physical, uh, uh, what did I say, territory? There is not one. It is a spiritual one. So when we say, I surrender to Christ, we are now part of this kingdom. But I want to ask this question. How is the kingdom of God different from the kingdom of heaven? How are those two different? Now, there is some very, very bad theology out there saying that those two things are completely separate. You need to treat them as separate. In Matthew's gospel, we see the kingdom of heaven. In Luke, Mark, and John, we see the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God used interchangeably. So what's the difference? Who was Matthew? What ethnicity was he? He was a Jew. Who was he writing to? Jews. Jews had a reverence for who? God. The name of God. So basically, you take this same thing, this sphere of salvation, and instead of using the word God, you use the word heaven. So the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are one and the same. Does that make sense for everybody? I've heard some people say, nope, those are two different things. You cannot cross... It's the same thing, just in, in two different ways. So the key to understanding it is that it is eternal or it is not seen and Christ is the king. Now, it's important to know that the Jews, what they were waiting on is they were waiting on the Messiah, this king, this big burly guy, this warrior to come in and redeem humanity, really the, the Jewish people get them out from under the thumb of Rome. They were looking for this guy. And what Jesus was saying is, I'm here. I am the Messiah. The kingdom is right here. And so that kind of threw them for, the, for a loop because they were thinking in, not in spiritual terms, but they were thinking in etern uh, uh, earthly terms. So look again at verse number 20. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. Why is this important? Because some Jews thought that they could read the cosmic signs to see when things were going to happen. I'll give you, for the sake of time, we're not going to go into this. I've got it in my notes, but we're going to kind of move on from this. But if you remember in Acts chapter 2, during Peter's famous sermon, he references the prophet Joel, said your old men will dream dreams, the sky will turn to, to blood. It's a reference from Joel chapter 2. That's an example of what some of these Jews would do, is they would look for signs in the cosmos, you know, shooting stars and you know, things like that, to try to predict what was coming. And Jesus was saying, the kingdom of God cannot be detected by those signs. But watch in verse number 21. He said, uh, I didn't do that right. Can't be detected. 
Okay, yeah, verse 21. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. Watch this. For the kingdom of God is already among you. And this is out of the New Living Translation. The kingdom of God is already among you. Now, some of your Bibles may say the kingdom of God is already in your midst. If I were to kind of summarize this myself, what would it look like? What has two thumbs and is the kingdom? This guy. That's what Jesus would do. He said, I am the kingdom. He is speaking of himself. He is saying, it is already in your midst, but you are spiritually blind to this. So at the end of verse 21 and the start of verse 22, what he does is he turns then to his disciples. So it was the Pharisees asking this question, and what he does is he takes that information, talking about his kingdom, that he is the kingdom, and he turns to his disciples. He's saying, okay, we're going to kind of, that's a good launching off point. Now I'm going to teach you something extremely important. Now, before we launch into this, I want to point this out. Look in your Bibles. I want you to look at verse 25. Verse 25. It says, but first, the son of man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. So, the reason I'm pointing this out, verse 25 has to happen before what we see in verses 22, 23, and 24. Does that make sense? We know, he says, all of this is going to happen, but first, I've got to be rejected. I've got to be beaten. I've got to be humiliated. I have to die. I have to be resurrected. So all of that must happen before what he's about to tell them. So let's look at verse 22 and following. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see when to long. Let me try that again. The time is coming when you will long to see the day when the son of man returns, but you won't see it. People will tell you, look, there is the son of man or here he is, but don't go out and follow them. What he is talking about is he is essentially kind of planting that seed, and he's going to kind of push that point here in just a little bit. But what he is talking about is his return to this earth. He is going to return. So we know if you're one of his disciples and you're hearing this, let's say you're Peter, you're hearing this like, whoa, I know you're leaving, but you're, you're going to come back. So this blew Peter's mind this concept of him coming back. He is telling them, expect my return, but don't go out and listen to all the hype. Don't go out and listen to false teachers, false prophets, false whoever, saying, oh, you already missed Jesus. Man, it was awesome. You should have been there. You missed it, though. Shouldn't have been out fishing that day. Gosh, it was awesome. possible false teachers and false prophets may have said that he has returned. Jesus is warning against this. He's saying, don't go out and chase the hype. Don't go out. If somebody's like, oh, yep, I see him out there. And they go scurrying over there. How do we know this? Look at verse 24. 
For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be when the, the day when the Son of Man comes. So we know that the Son of Man, Christ himself, is going to come. But he said, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. In other words, you ain't going to miss it. You can be out fishing on Beaver Lake. You can be in the Sahara Desert. You can be anywhere on this planet. You will not miss it. When he comes, he is coming. That's what he's telling them. It's going to be hard to miss. So he's established that he is going to return. He is going to come once again. So what he does is he gives two examples to illustrate his point about when he will return. The time of Noah and the time of Lot. So look at verse 26. It says, when the Son of Man returns, not if he returns, but when he returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. And he goes on in verse 28. It says, and the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building, until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. People are not going to know when this happens. We know that he's coming, but we don't know when. The moral of these two examples is us to be aware so that we are not caught it is that simple so when Luke includes these two examples from the mouth of Christ we see that there's several things that there that these two stories or these two accounts have in common Lot and Noah number one people paid little attention to God at both in both examples, at the time of Noah and at the time of Lot, people paid very little attention to God. In other words, what they were doing is they were living for themselves. What does that look like? Exactly what we just read. They were eating, drinking. They were enjoying banquets, weddings, parties. They were buying and selling, farming and building. All of those things. They were living. They were doing life. It was business as usual. But there was judgment coming in both examples. Judgment was looming over all of those people. The other thing that these stories have in common, God warned. He warned that judgment was coming. Judgment was imminent. He went out and Noah went and preached to this generation, this wicked generation, this same generation that God said, I am sorry that I made you. That's how God had gotten to that point is, oh my gosh, you are incredibly wicked people. 
Noah went and preached to those people. With Lot, judgment was coming. There was a warning for that. So judgment is what Jesus is talking about. One of the big things to take away from this, judgment is coming. So this kingdom that he is talking about is very important, and his return is very important. So let's look at verse number 31. On that day, talking about the day of his return, when he returns, Christ returns, on that day, a person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. So what Jesus is talking about is when Christ returns, it's not like, oh, there he is here. Let me go get my affairs in order. Uh Uh-uh. When he comes, he is coming. There is no time for that. Also, Lot's wife, looking back, when she turned into a pillar of salt, this is talking about a love of earthly possessions. What is being talked about in verse number 31, you can't go home and and pack up all your valuables and take the stuff out of your safe and, all right, let me grab my suitcase. All right, take me, Lord. There is no time for that. It's a physical thing. You cannot take a physical thing with you to a spiritual place. Then there's verse number 33. It says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. And that verse kind of seems to be sandwiched in there but it is talking about those who are persecuted for preaching and pushing forward the kingdom of God. So we read about that this morning in our Bible study in Revelation, talking about there is going to be persecution. When we talk about furthering the kingdom, that is sharing, saving faith in Christ, even to the point of death. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. If you let your life go, you will save it. So how how do we tie these two together? I don't have a slide for this, but let me read you. You may be familiar with this out of Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Those who are persecuted for the cause of Christ, those who are persecuted even to the point of death, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Let's continue. Look at verse number 34. It says, That night, again, at the return of Christ, when he returns, that night two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. A lot of people look at this passage and they're like, yep, see, that's the rapture of the church right there. The Left Behind series, one was standing there, the other person was just closed. Y'all remember that? A lot of people reference this saying, yep, there's proof of the rapture. No, this is not proof of the rapture. Is there in the Bible? Yes, I believe that there is. 
but not in this verse. And let me explain why. Jesus is talking about judgment. When he returns, there is going to be a judgment. People are going to fall into one of two categories if we're not taken out of here by then. You're either going to be a believer or a non-believer. You're either going to be wheat, you're going to be tares. You're either going to be a sheep, you're going to be a goat. Any goats in here? Hopefully not. Either you belong to God's kingdom or you don't. One of those two. It's not a eh, partially. Nope. Either you belong to Christ or you don't. It is that simple. Either you have saving faith in Christ in the work that he did or you don't. What this does when it's talking about one person lying in bed next to another person, one of them is gone, the other left, one lady grinding at the mill, two ladies, one gone, one stays. What this is talking about is this person's righteousness, they could be married. Let's say it's a married couple, couple in that bed. One person is saved, the other is not. One person belongs to the kingdom, the other doesn't. So when it says uh, that verb taken, that can mean one of two things. Either the, the person who belongs to the kingdom is taken, the other person suffers judgment, or the one who is not a believer is taken to judgment and the other person left. Theologians kind of battle back and forth, doesn't matter. But that person, the husband's righteousness, does not bleed over to the wife. Father and son, mother and daughter, grandmother, she may have been the best churchgoer, best Christian you ever met. That doesn't mean diddly when it comes to you. Why? Every single one of us stands before the Lord in judgment. It is personal faith. It is not family faith. It is not corporate faith. You may belong to the best church in the U.S., and that's us, by the way. But as good as this church is, this church does not save you. Coming here does not save you. It is your personal faith, your personal decision in Christ is what saves you. The two ladies in the mill, they were working together. They were co-workers, probably chat by the water cooler. I don't know what they did. But one of them was taken, the other was left. Why? One of them had faith in Christ. One of them belonged to the kingdom, the other didn't. That's what this is talking about. It's not a picture of the rapture of the church. It is just talking about that there are, um, one's righteousness does not bleed over for family or for co-workers. Let's look at verse 37. Of all the questions, Jesus just dropped a nuclear bomb full of mind-bending, what, you're returning? What? The kingdom? Oh my gosh, tell me more. Of all things, they asked this question. Where is this going to happen? Where will this happen, Lord? The disciples asked. Where? Where are you going to return? That is a good question, but of all questions, physically where is what they asked? 
And Jesus replied, just as the gathering of vultures shows where there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Basically what he's doing is he's saying, look for the vultures. Look for them. Because that is going to show you where they are. And I kind of struggled with this verse of, okay, I'm kind of understanding it, kind of not. I don't have a slide. I should have put this up there. But if you have your Bibles, flip over to Revelation 19, verse 17. Revelation 19, 17. Once I saw this, I was like, now I see what you're talking about. And this is kind of harsh, by the way. This is after the triumphal Christ riding on his white horse, which, ooh, I cannot wait to see that. Look at verse 17, Revelation 19, 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting at the vultures, flying high in the sky, come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and of their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Again, what we're talking about here this morning is a picture of judgment. There is impending judgment that Jesus is talking about, not just to his disciples, not just in essence to you and I, but also to the Pharisees who were standing there asking these questions to him, trying to trip him up. So he's talking about judgment. Judgment is coming. So I want to summarize with this. Nate and I have this joke. That's all well and good. So what? I ask myself that all the time when I'm reading this passage of scripture. I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. So what? What can I do with that? Three things. Number one, judgment is coming. Judgment is imminent. Whether we like it or not, judgment is coming. Now, I said that this is important. The return of Christ is important for each and every one of us as Christians to know because when we share Christ with someone, we share the hope not just of eternal life, but that Christ is going to return. That is part of what I consider kind of the drivetrain of Christianity, what makes it go, that this is such an uh, important part. But judgment is coming. So when we share Christ with people, we need to tell them judgment is coming. You will fall into one of two categories. Remember, we talked about the goats and the sheep, the wheat and the tares. Either you belong to God's kingdom, or you don't. Number two, we need to be prepared for what's coming. Salvation through Christ alone. Works will not save us. Your grandmother who went to church religiously for 50 years will not save you. It is personal faith. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says that if we believe in our hearts with our mouths, watch this, that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. But it goes on in verse 13 that says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you believe that in your heart, confess it with your mouth, 
That is how we are saved. That is how we enter into God's kingdom. Number three, we need to spread this message, to share this message of hope that Jesus is going to return. We need to share this with our friends, our family, our coworkers, neighbors, everyone, that this judgment is coming and we have a message of hope that we want to share with you. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that came forth here today. Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation, the opportunity for salvation that you have given to us. Father, we thank you that we now understand the work of Christ, why he came, and why it was so important. Father, it was the redemption of humanity the redemption for all of us who place our saving faith in him. And Father, if there's anyone here, anyone online who has never made that declaration, they're not sure if they belong in God's kingdom or not. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit just go to work on their heart. And Father, that you put people in their path that can minister to them, that can Walk them through what it means to be born again, what it means to be truly redeemed, and what it truly means to be saved. Father, again, we thank you for this. We ask for your blessings as we continue to worship here this morning. And Father, as we sing this next song, I just ask that each of us look inward in ourselves, that we use this as a time of prayer that we ask ourselves that question, am I redeemed? Am I doing enough to share this message of redemption with others? And if we are not sharing that like we should, Lord, point us where you want us to take that, where you want us to go, and Lord, give us the words to speak it. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.